Okay. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray, Lord God, that you would create in us a fresh appetite today. As we look at this incredible subject, this Christ-glorifying subject of the sacraments and what they mean to us, Lord, we pray that you would create in us a fresh desire and a fresh hunger for the things of God. These may be things that we're familiar with. These texts of Scripture might be things that we have read many times, passages that we have known and loved. But Lord, we pray that we would not grow weary in our understanding. We pray we would not grow darkened in our understanding. But Lord, we would remain like children, hungry to learn. Lord, I pray that you would work through me, your servant today. Help me to preach your word as it is and not to get in the way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our study today on the church. It's a study that we've been doing together uh, since the beginning of January 2023. And today we are looking at the subject of the sacraments. The sacraments. What are they? What do they signify? And what function do the sacraments perform for each of us in our lives. Christ, as we've seen in our last time we visited this, we've seen that Christ is absolutely committed, isn't he? He's absolutely committed to building his church. He's given his life for his church. He is the high priest of the church. It's his present duty to carry his sacrifice once for all before the Father, to intercede for his people. And he has said, this is my business on earth. I will build my church. It's his bride. Remember when we covered that subject, the bride of Christ. It's his prize as well. It's his glory, the church. And it is his will as we will see, not to lose one of his true elect people, the church. We read in John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Did you hear that? They will never. Actually, that's a double negative in the Greek there. They will never perish. But I will give them eternal life and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. You can see Jesus' commitment to bringing his church to glory. He's the chief cornerstone of his church. He has also laid a foundation, hasn't he? We learnt about this a few weeks back. He is the cornerstone, but he's laid a foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2 tells us. That's the foundation of the church. It's been laid. It doesn't need to be laid again. We have the apostles and the prophets upon which the church is built. And so, brothers and sisters, it should be of alarm to you that there are many walking around today calling themselves capital A Apostles. What does the implication of that mean? Well, it means this. The church of Jesus Christ that is on the earth right now 
that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that is being given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that church is built upon the foundation of the apostles of Christ. The twelve, arguably some would say Paul. Now if that is the case, and that that church of Jesus Christ is built upon that foundation, what's the implication of others walking around calling themselves capital A apostles today? Well, the implication is that they're laying a new foundation of something else. Because how could it be the church of Jesus Christ if that foundation has already been laid? There are many laying new foundations today. Unfortunately, they are not the foundations of the church of Jesus Christ. They are foundations of another building altogether. We don't have time to stay on that, but I'll leave that with you. Jesus has built the foundation of the church, the apostles and the prophets. And he's also given to the church certain gifts. And we want to cover in coming weeks the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The giving of the Holy Spirit to the church and all that that means. But today, I want to focus on, if you will, the pillars of this building. The pillars of the building which hold up the church. And they are the Word and the sacraments. The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, and also these things known as sacraments, otherwise called signs or seals. Some people get upset with the word sacraments. Some people don't like to refer to them as that. That's okay. Um, Today we're going to use that word just because it's common and people understand what it means. But these are visible signs. These are seals of the promises of Scripture. And the Word and the sacraments together, they act as pillars. They act as pillars that hold up the integrity of the building. How many of you understand in this building that we're in right now, there are going to be huge, huge supports. There are going to be foundations, but there are also going to be pillars, RSJs, all kinds of supports to ensure that the integrity of this building doesn't fail. What should happen if one of those pillars or columns in this building should become faulty or weakened, the integrity of the building would be destroyed and it would become weak and it might even begin to slide and fall down. And so God has provided for us his word and the sacraments as a pillar to maintain the integrity of his holy temple, the church. That's what they're intended to do. They're for our use. And these two things, word and sacraments, are known in theology as the media gratiae. Can you say that? Media gratiae, which means means of grace. Means of grace. All this means is that when God chooses to show grace, when God chooses to show mercy or to pour out his love, he does it through a medium. He does it via a channel. So for example, when we say to people, Jesus loves you, or God loves you, we say God loves you a lot, don't we? We say, bless you, God loves you. Where's that love to be found? Where is that love to be found? Anywhere? In any world religion? It doesn't matter which one you follow, you'll find the love of God, right? Is it found inside? When you sit alone in your bedroom and you ponder the loveliness of yourself and all that you are, that's where you find the love of God? No, it's not within. 
It's not found in other religions. It's not found indiscriminately in the world, but it's found in where? In one person, in Jesus Christ. That's how God has loved the world, isn't it, brothers and sisters? And so God has used a medium. He's used Jesus Christ as his love gift to the world. And unless we come to Christ, we don't experience the full love of God, do we? And in the same way, he has given us the Word, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, and the sacraments as his means, ordinary means of grace. We're not saying he only acts exclusively and only through the Word and sacraments. There are certain other ways that God will minister to his church, but ordinarily speaking, he ministers through those two mediums of the Word being preached and of the sacraments being employed. Those are the two ordinary means of grace by which the Holy Spirit moves. That's how the Holy Spirit ordinarily moves in His church, by these two means. The Heidelberg Catechism says in question 66, what are the sacraments? The sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, he may the fully, more the fully, declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Namely, that he grants us out of free grace the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. So what is a, a sacrament? A sacrament is a visible holy sign. In fact, Augustine, the early church father, he called a sacrament a visible word. A visible word. It's something that is appointed of God. It can't be a sacrament if it's something that's made up by men. Now we'll find that in some ways mankind creates all kinds of sacraments. We all have certain rituals in life that act as kind of formal sacraments. But the Bible says that a sacrament is tr truly a sacrament if it's been appointed by God. It's a visible word. It's a picture and a sign and a seal of the promises of the gospel. Now at home, sometimes as a family, we've we played a game called the blindfold game. And what you do is each of you is given a blindfold and you have to tie the blindfold tightly so you can't see out the top or the bottom. And then what we do is we buy a whole bunch of fizzy drinks. We'll buy like a Dr. Pepper, a Pepsi Max, a Diet Coke, a Coke Zero, a Cherry Coke, or we love fizzy drinks. And we'll, what we'll do is the blindfolded person has to take each can and taste it and guess correctly which fizzy drink it is. Now Becca's pretty good at this because She's probably the biggest fizzy drink fan in the family. But even so, occasionally, even she can get one wrong because she's using just one of her senses in order to guess what the drink is. She can't see the can, she can't see the design on the front of it. All she's using is her sense of taste in order to tell her what this is. She can smell it, yeah, that might help. She can hear it, how fizzy is it? But it's the sense of taste that tells her, oh yeah, that's Coke Zero, or that's Pepsi Max. Now, once she takes the blindfold off, there's no more difficulty. 
There's no more difficulty. She sees clearly now the design on the front of the can. And it's not a problem for her. And in the same way, the sacraments are like opening up another sense to us. It's a visible sign of what is promised to us in God's Word. They're signs to us which reveal in a visible way what God has promised to us. Now it's true that throughout church history there have been lots of fallouts and fights over the sacraments, over how many they are. The Roman Catholic Church has said that there are seven sacraments and this is one of the main debates of the Reformation was over how many sacraments there are. Others as the Reformers and us today here in the Evangelical Church, we would say that there are two sacraments. There's been a lot of disagreement, not just over the number of the sacraments, but over what they mean, how they're to be taken, and the theology behind them. And I think because of that infighting, because of all the disagreement and debate, many of us today have felt a little bit of kind of trepidation about thinking about them. Many of us have felt a little bit kind of, maybe that they're religious, um, a bit superstitious for some, and perhaps haven't really grasped what they are. And they're often not really spoken about from the front at a church either. And so therefore many of us are left thinking, well, we do this thing at church, you know, uh, every two weeks we, we take the bread and the wine, it's wonderful, we, we take it together and we pray and it's great. But we don't maybe understand what's going on or why we do this. It's important to remember that these signs and seals, they're God-ordained. They're given to us by God. They're not made up by mankind and we don't have, therefore, the freedom to redefine them or add to them or ignore them. They've been given by God to God's people. And so, when we look at the Bible as a whole, I want to show what the Bible says about sacraments, not just in the New Testament, talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper, but did God actually institute sacraments in the Old Testament as well? And in fact, there were two sacraments, two sacraments given to God's people in the Old Testament. There was the sacrament of circumcision. You remember this in Genesis 17, Abraham believed God, we know it was accounted to him as righteousness, but what did God then say to him after he'd had faith in him? He said, be circumcised, you and your offspring. And so both Abraham and his sons henceforth were circumcised. Romans 4 verse 11 gives us some background to what this sign meant. He, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal, you hear that, a seal, rubber stamp, of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So it went faith, seal, okay, for Abraham. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So circumcision was a sign of inclusion in the household of God. 
It was a sign of being in the covenant. In the covenant people of God, it was a sign and a seal of faith. Now it's interesting, and we'll get to this in coming weeks, that Abraham believed, and God said, be circumcised. But he also said, circumcise your son. His son was a child. Had he believed at that point, he hadn't. But he was still circumcised and included in the covenant family of God. So covenant, sorry, circumcision was about entering into the covenant people of God. It was about being separated from the world. It was a bloody sacrifice. Part of you was cut off for the boys. The girls didn't have to go through this. Thank the Lord that he was generous and gracious in that. But it showed a cutting off from the world. It showed a separation from the world and being given unto God. The second sacrament in the Old Testament was, of course, Passover. Passover. So this was the festival of Passover, which the Israelites were commanded by God to celebrate each year. In Exodus 12, verse 25 to 27, we get a bit of background to what was being asked of them in this sacrament. And when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So every year, there would be a reenactment of that Passover moment that happened in Egypt when the angel of the Lord came through and unless there was the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the lintels and the doorposts, the firstborn in that house would die. And so the only way you would escape that particular judgment was to have this sacrificial blood on your household and then the angel of the Lord would pass over you. And every year they would reenact that sacrifice. They would sacrifice a lamb, an unblemished lamb to the Lord. They would have a Passover meal together and the household would consume that lamb. And of course the picture here is of God's judgment passing over his people. Why does he pass over? Did God pass over the Jews because they were just better than the Egyptians? Did he pass over them because they had all the right theology? Did he pass over them because they had more good works than the Egyptians? If those Israelites, no matter how good their theology was, had forgotten to put the blood of the sacrificed lamb on their doorsteps, guess what? Their firstborn would have died. The only reason the angel passed over was what? When he saw the blood. When he saw the blood. And so the Passover was a sacrament that celebrated God's passing over of his people in judgment, not judging them because of blood. Two bloody sacrifices in the old, uh, two bloody sacraments in the Old Testament. What did they point towards? What were they pointing towards, these sacraments? The ultimate fulfillment of them, of course, is Christ. Is Christ. These sacraments point towards Jesus. They find their fulfillment in Him. And in the New Testament, we also have two sacrifices. Sorry, two sacraments. We have the sacrament of baptism. Of course, Jesus commands 
in Matthew 28. It says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the second sacrament, which is called the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take together after this sermon today. And this is found in Luke 22, 17 to 19. It says this, Jesus took a cup when he'd given thanks. He said, take this, divide it among yourself. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread when he'd given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Christ at that moment institutes the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate today. Now just as circumcision and Passover in the Old Testament were sacraments that pointed towards the coming of Jesus and were supposed to instill in God's people a faith to look forwards to the coming Messiah, who would ultimately be the sacrificial lamb for their sins, who would ultimately separate them from the world and give them the righteousness that came by faith. Just as those two sacraments point towards Jesus, guess what these two sacraments do in the New Testament? They look back. They look back towards Christ. They look back towards His sacrifice in the Lord's Supper, of His giving His body and His blood on our behalf. And also, we look backwards towards His death and His resurrection. And in baptism, of course, Romans says we are buried with Him in baptism and raised to newness of life in Him. And that's what baptism's about. We'll get more into these at a later date. But these sacraments, what's really interesting is that these relate to one another. The sacrament of circumcision and the sacrament of baptism, they're not the same, but they essentially represent the same thing. They point towards a cutting off from the world and a joining together with Christ. They speak of a righteousness that comes by faith. They're a sign and a seal of righteousness that comes by faith. They're a sign and a seal of the same thing, of being included in the covenant people of God. So in the Old Testament, if you belonged to the household of God and you were male, you were circumcised. In the New Covenant, if you belong to the church of Jesus Christ, you are baptized. Do you see this? It's great, isn't it? I love it. It's so cool seeing the continuity between old and new. And in the Old Testament, they celebrated Passover, where God passed over the sins of his people. Celebrated that by what? By consuming the sacrificial lamb. Well, guess what this is? In the New Testament, we consume the body and the blood of our ultimate sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. So these sacraments relate to one another. They essentially point to the same things and they point to, to the same person, Jesus Christ. So how do they function? We've done the theology now, but now we need to know why is this important? What do these sacraments actually achieve in the life of the church? Now the Roman Catholic Church, we've got to understand some of this. It's really important for the subject, but it's really important to understand that the Roman Catholic Church, during the time of the Reformation, and even now today, they teach that there are seven sacraments, and they also teach that the sacrament 
is actually the thing that it signifies. Let me unpack that a little bit. Roman Catholic theology says that over there, once the bread and the wine has been consecrated by a priest, literally becomes the body, the flesh, and the blood of Jesus. And so in taking, as they call it, the Mass, you are literally consuming the flesh and the blood of Christ. And therefore, as you take it, you are having your sins remitted. I also taught that baptism was the actual thing that it signified. So the baptismal font was actually what regenerated you. That if you were baptised, you were born again. Do you see how they mixed that up? So the, the sacrament is actually the thing that it points to. And this is one of the main things, one of the main debates during the time of the Reformation. Because what that actually led people to do was that they began to put their faith in the sacraments themselves. Well, I'm a Christian because I've been baptised. I'm born again because the waters of baptism made me born again. I am forgiven of my sins. Why? Because I took Mass on Sunday. You can see, can't you, how that would connect and how that would work. And it was actually John Calvin and the other reformers who opposed this by showing that the sacraments in and of themselves do not save. However, they do point us to the one who can. John Calvin said this, the sacraments can only fulfill their function when accompanied by the Spirit, whose power alone can penetrate the heart and stir the emotions. If He is not active, the sacraments will be no more use than the sun shining on the eyes of the blind or sounds sent into the ears of the deaf. Calvin said, there's no special inherent virtue in the sacraments themselves. They can't give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they do bear testimony to them. And so, what we saw happen in churches from the time of the Reformation was a subtle change. Now, if you walk into a Catholic church today, what's going to be at the front of the church? A pulpit? A stage? No, it's the altar. The altar was at the front of the church. The whole life of the Roman Catholic Church was built around the sacraments. And so the, the, the people would come and the Word of God was secondary to the sacrament. People came for the Lord's Supper. They came for the Mass and then they went away. What the Reformers did was to come in and to bring the Word up alongside the sacraments. And so now, in a Protestant church, what is the focal point of worship? It is the Word of God. It is the pulpit, isn't it? It is the preaching of the Word. Now because those errors of the Roman Catholic Church were so grievous back in the time of Reformation, and this is why we study this stuff at church, right? This is why it's important, isn't it, to know these things, because it gives us perspective. And it helps us maybe to see the lenses through which we view the sacraments today. 
because of the errors of the Roman Catholic Church, because of them saying that the sacraments actually save, the reformers came in and said, no, but they do point to the one who does. There's been a swing. Sometimes when you reject a false belief, don't you find yourself swinging naturally towards another false belief? You know, if somebody hurts you deeply, isn't it so easy to, be, to begin to swing away from just forgiveness and into hatred for them too? We're naturally inclined to do this. And I think this has happened in regards to the sacraments. There's been a pendulum swing away from the Catholic view of the sacraments as being high and exalted and being able to save to where we are now, where most Christians do not see any value in them whatsoever. They see them merely as religious things that we do. Just traditions of the church can be added or left out as we please and have no real effect in our lives. I think this grieves God. I think this grieves the Lord. I think it's a pendulum swing too far away from what God intended for the sacraments. We know in 1 Corinthians 11, as we'll read shortly when we come to take the Lord's Supper, we know that the Lord took very seriously the manner in which the Corinthians took the Lord's Supper. In fact, Paul even says, some of you are weak, as in sick, and some of you have actually died because you have been taking the Lord's Supper in a sinful manner. It's what's known as the temporal judgment of God. Those people, Christians, will be in heaven now. They'll be sharing in the glory of Christ, but they were judged temporally for not taking seriously the table of the Lord and coming to it unprepared, coming to it with sin in their hearts, unrepentant, coming to it just like it's any other ordinary thing that we do. And this is why in this church, we do read Scripture before we come to the table. We do want to repent of our sins before we come to the Lord's table because I believe the Lord takes this very seriously. These sacraments, they become to us, I believe, active. They become active when we have faith. When we believe that God by His Holy Spirit is going to appropriate the things promised to us when we come to the Lord's table, then the Holy Spirit works by faith. By faith. In our hearts, the things which are promised. Heidelberg Catechism. Are these both the Word and sacraments designed to direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, truly. For the Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and by the Holy Sacraments assures us that our whole salvation stands in the one sacrifice of Christ made for us on the cross. So these sacraments are signs and seals. They are not just mere memorials of things that have happened in the past. I think that's the error of today. We just look at them as, well, yes, we do that because we remember. Well, yes, that's true. But when we come to them with faith, the Holy Spirit works in us what He has promised to us.
in Christ. When we come to the Lord's Supper and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His body, His blood given for us, that does cause the wrath of God to pass over us. As we come by faith to that table, the Lord works that promise of salvation in us by the Holy Spirit. It's how the Holy Spirit works in His church ordinarily. Of course, He works in other ways too. But this is one of the main ways He works. And finally, I just want to dwell on this before we take the Lord's Supper. It's absolutely true that in the sacraments, your attention is being pointed away from yourself and towards Christ. Being pointed away from your works, good or bad, away from your performance as a Christian, good or bad, and towards Jesus as the author of your salvation. Many in churches today need to hear that message because their assurance of salvation, their assurance that they will be with Christ for eternity fluctuates dependent on their performance. How many times have I prayed this week? How many times have I failed this week? For some in the charismatic churches, how many healings have I seen? How many prophetic words have I had? Our assurance fluctuates dependent on our performance. But the sacraments point us back. They point us towards the only one who can give full assurance. And ultimately, to the one who will save you. To Jesus Christ. To His work at Calvary. And it is Him that we're going to feast on today. And I would encourage you as a Christian, when you feel discouraged, when you feel insecure in your faith, when you feel you've let the Lord down, The temptation is to look within. The temptation is to have a good, long, hard look in the mirror. What's wrong with this person I see in my reflection? Why are they so broken? Why can't you be better? But the Holy Spirit has instituted these means because we're not supposed to look within. For assurance of salvation, we're supposed to look to Him. Let's stand.